This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. So I'm Kevin Callahan. I help organizations and leaders stay relevant in the age of uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, which is, I believe, where we find ourselves. And I do that a variety of different ways. They all start with people and helping people understand where they are and where they're going and help leaders become more effective uh, with that. And sometimes there's some agile coaching, sometimes there's organizational development. This is the first episode of the Designer and Agile series with Kevin Callahan. All right. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that design is, is an interesting concept and um, it, it's a bit amorphous and means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so this idea of designer as a role is... Um, Oh, it's kind of an interesting idea because I think it's kind of like a leader, right? I think everybody should should have some degree of design consideration as they work, mm-hmm. and that shifts around depending on domain, of course. You know, like there's there's you know object oriented design, which is very different than usability design or uh, customer delighting design. Though I think that that they have they share similar things around um, elegance and effectiveness, and you know, just being really really good for whatever purpose that that artifact has right so anyway I'll, I'll start what do you think of, what are your thoughts on that when people say uh i'm a designer what are they doing i have no idea i mean they could be like designing clothes for all i know <laughs> <laughs> well i think uh well okay so i'll just my perspective is that they're doing ui they're doing uh ui design yep, okay. and they're not doing coding uh oh they think they, they might be but they're not they're, they're typically prototyping right okay so so yeah so in that in that case then uh, they're after trying to discover uh, what is the the correct way to put something in front of people so that they'll use it right right and that and that they'll use it in a way that they keep coming back and they uh, I think the typical end game would be to increase their usage and have it become habitual. As an aspect of that, there's also these platform considerations. So, for example, when I go to the app design documents, if you don't design it to per their standards, then your app won't get in the store. And then you, you have the same situation with Google, though maybe they're more flexible, let's say. So the, I find that designers are better at, shall I say, rules following because they bother to maybe read the rules. Not that I'm trying to throw developers under the bus, but they're probably busy like trying to figure out how they get code working, what are the language features, and designers aren't... The, the designers I meet aren't doing much development. They don't know much about language features, but they're all about what types of widgets can they put on the screen or in Apple terms, it's what elements, what UI elements can I put on the screen and how, what are appropriate for different uh, situations? Yeah. You know, and I think that that it gets into, you know, are we doing inside out design or outside in design? Oh, you know, and, and inside out design, you know, I, I when I teach product owners uh, and just kind of agile basics, right? Like fundamentals of agile that if you have a, a uh, kind of an opportunity or a problem statement that you've identified um, the, the typical way that I've seen uh, most software shops solve for that is they start with the technology and then they work from the technology up into the solution. And I would call that inside out. 
versus starting with a customer or the user and understanding them really deeply and what are they, you know, what does this thing mean to them and solving from that perspective, which is outside in. And that's more like BDD. Got it. Right. And what did you just say a moment ago? Do you see designers typically doing uh, outside in or the other way? Uh, I, I think it depends. Um, I think that it, it depends. I think that in my direct experience, most people are operating inside out, uh, just observationally. And then when you do get somebody like you know John Ive at Apple or you know one of the or some of the folks at IDEO who actually really understand deeply that it starts with the the user and and making their world better, even if it's very a very small change to make their world better. You get an outside-in approach, which requires empathy, by the way, <laughs> and, and is rooted in empathy and compassion and, and, and an emotional experience. And I don't think those are usually very welcome in most corporate environments. That's an interesting point. So why should a designer have empathy? Tell me more. You said that because well, that's important. So what yeah, is it that they're doing there? I think it's the, the critical thing, right? You know, so I'll give you, I'll give you an example out of, out of some of the insurance company work that, that we've done. People don't call insurance companies on a good day, mm. All right. Mm-hmm. right? They they call they call to make a claim, varying from an inconvenient day to a life altering day. Mm. Nice. And and you know keeping that in mind, you know, as as I've worked with software teams who are trying to build stuff that's techni- technically and technologically really cool. And my first question is, what is what do you think? the mental and emotional state of your policyholder is in the moment that they would need to use your app. And they just kind of look at me and they go, we didn't really think about that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I would venture that they're probably under acute stress mentally and acute stress emotionally. Mm-hmm. And now you're putting a piece of technology in front of them, or you're hoping that they'll find your piece of technology and what do you think their tolerance is for something that doesn't make their life immediately better? Wow, okay. And they go, wow, uh, we didn't really think about that either. And it's like, okay, so if you don't think about those things, what's the likelihood that your app is ever going to be used by anybody in the field in the wild? Like, who are you building this thing for? Are you building this thing just to check the box internally to say, hey, we've got uh, you know this cool new solution? Or are you building this for your your policyholders, your customers, who are in a moment of acute need, and you're going to make their life better in that moment of acute need? Nice. Yeah. Software should have, this is going to sound funny, but the software should try to connect with the user as a representation of your service and should take into account their emotional state. Yeah. I mean, Jeff Patton summed it up really beautifully and elegantly. He said, you know, we're here to change the world. That's what that's I believe the the noble calling of software hmm. is to help improve the human condition through technology. And you know, you could say, well, is Amazon really doing that? Well, in some ways they are. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> for, totally for, you know, for their users they are. You could you could debate how they treat people on the inside, um, employee wise, but it's just a bigger conversation. You know, they certainly are very radically focused on what can we do? And Apple under Steve Jobs was the same way. You know, what can we do to 
make our customers' experience better. Right, right. right? But, and, like, I, and, that, and that, yeah, and that's how Apple changed the whole computing landscape. Right, with Steve Jobs had that early vision of like computers should be easy to use, they should be fun, they should be welcoming to human beings. And they designed the Macintosh, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I, I, that's awesome. Now, yeah. how does a designer do that for his team? <laughs> yeah, because you got this translation thing, right? You got, you got kind of a human, emotional, mental abstraction kind of experience that you want to translate to technological implementation. And, and that gap, Goiko Ajic called it the communication gap, and he has a great book, Bridging the Communication Gap, and much of his work, specification by example, and then, you know, all the BDD guys and gals are, are trying to, 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 to bridge that, right? How do, we, how do we maintain coherence and integrity of idea as we translate it from what the customer needs to what we're going to build? And, and that's a big question. Especially when there's somebody in the business who wants a deadline hit and they just want the, how do I say it, the magic sauce? Right, right. Yeah, just build the, build the thing, right? And, and so that, then we get into this question, well, how do, you, how do you do that in a way that doesn't get into this like heavy phase gate, <laughs> get the design perfect, and then start the development and then realize that there are assumptions made in the design that maybe are problematic in implementation and then we have to you know, go back upstream and try to figure out how do we redesign around those uh, constraints that we didn't even know existed. And, and you know, man, back when I was design, uh, writing code, which was a lot of years ago now, uh, we did have a, a UX designer. And this guy wanted to get pretty far down the path <laughs> of not necessarily pixel-perfect mock-ups, but very, very polished uh, wireframes before we even, as the development team, even got to see it. Like, he didn't even want to show it to us just because he felt pride of ownership and he felt like, you know, I don't want to waste your guys' time if this is going to constantly change. And, and that you know, we're kind of like going from the other direction saying, well, the earlier we see what you're thinking, the earlier we can start mocking up data models. And, you know, if we're doing like domain-driven design, we can start building out in really rough object libraries so that... Uh, and, and we can refactor that if we if we do it well <laughs> and attend to it. We can refactor that as things change and morph. And I know that in the past, like you and I have talked about was it customer contract driven development or something like that with interfaces, right? Um, which is kind of a similar idea. Like, what are the parts of the interface or the data model that are likely to be stable, and then what are the parts of it that are likely to change and kind of abstract those out so that you quarantine that volatility. Agile Grande teaches you systems thinking through dramatic storytelling, such as Carter takes a job to improve a logistics company's adaptability, but efforts to scale agile practices are being blocked by Mr. Chernesky, a vice president who's organized the company into siloed pigeonholes in order to secretly make millions with a dark web shipping service. Carter's life is in danger. He goes underground and a spy agency hunts for him. 
When Carter uses systems thinking, systems modeling, and organizational change to save his company and his life, you get to learn how to apply that to your organization as well. Get your free copy of Agile Grande at leanpub.com. If you're listening to the show on a podcast player, there's some great show notes. So you can tap, tap, tap over there and read the cliff notes of what we will be discussing in this series. And if you're not using a podcast player, just go back to the website where you downloaded this podcast and you'll see them right there. Next episode, more Kevin Callahan. Okay, so the idea is to put abstraction where, 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 where we least understand things. And uh, what I'm hearing is that you were in a situation where you had a UX designer and you had to negotiate a relationship change. Were you guys successful with that? 